Hey, if you are joining us here in our room for the first time this morning or you're joining us online for the first time at Hosanna Christian Fellowship, welcome. We are so glad you're here to worship with us this morning. Well, this morning we are going to be finishing the letter of 1 Peter, and we're going to be talking about the paradox of finishing the Christian life well which is something Peter has been dealing with throughout this whole letter, not just in the letter itself, but something he dealt with in his own life. You know, some of you may know that um, Peter's life, the Apostle Peter, excuse me, his whole life was a life of inversion. According to tradition, when he uh, went home to be with the Lord, it says that he was crucified upside down. very directly opposite of how Jesus was, and he did that because he felt he was not worthy to die in the same manner as his Lord. And that's just a picture of of biblical Christianity. You know, according to biblical Christianity, the way up is always down, right? That's the paradox, you know, and Peter's letter has been full of this paradox. Glory and honor is attained by persecution, our, our future inheritance that we have as Christians, that inheritance, that ex- exaltation that will be awarded to us when we stand before Christ comes only after this brief season of present day suffering. And that's the irony. Suffering always precedes glory. It was so for God's son, so of course it's gonna be the same for God's kids. So Peter's letter overall brings together these two seemingly you know, incompatible truths. The first truth is our status in Christ. The second truth is our suffering on earth. And if you remember, Peter opened the very letter this way. He said, to those chosen, their status, living as exiles dispersed abroad to immediately speak of their suffering. And throughout the letter, these two ideas were joined together over and over again. In chapter one, verses three through six, we read about how our internal inheritance is linked to various trials, right? Chapter two, verses 11 to 12, we read how we are both God's chosen people and strangers and exiles at the same exact time, right? How fun is that as we get to live that out in our lives? You know, and just in case his readers would miss the point in chapter two, verses 21 through 25, he then gave us the example of Jesus Christ as the supreme example of those very truths, being both the chosen of God and yet being in this world as a pilgrim, as an exile. Chapter three, verses 18 through 22, he then went on to show us how the ultimate vindication of Jesus Christ, his victory over death and over sin, um, really serves as the proof and the evidence of our future hope as his followers and our present calling. That is, we saw that as he went through suffering, we saw the glory that came after. And that's the truth that stands to be for for the follower of Jesus Christ. Then in chapter four, he went on about so then, right? So then, based upon these truths, here's, here's how to have a biblical mindset in and through suffering, how to get through all that. And so as Peter here is closing his letter, he's gonna sum up all of those great truths that he's been sharing with us, and he calls it in verse 12 of chapter five, the true grace of God. The true grace of God. And, and, and that phrase, the true grace of God, it could be stated, it could be described in a number of different ways according to Peter. The true grace of God can be said um, or seen in the picture of our future inheritance arriving by way of present sufferings. You could say the true grace of God is exaltation coming after humiliation. 
Peter says here that the true grace of God is eternal glory coming after a brief time of earthly suffering. And really that's the big truth is that the destination of heaven is arrived by way of a very difficult journey, a difficult life here that, that, that we live as we strive to live for Christ, to glorify his name, and yet come up against persecution for doing that very thing. We receive the blessings of heaven according to God's word by carrying his cross in the here and now every single day. This truth, these lessons, they're critically important, I believe, for us, the, the Christians, the church, especially in today's world, because these truths are foundational to us getting on with the task that Peter has been encouraging his readers to, to get to in this letter. And that task is to get on living, <laughs> get on living hopeful, living productive, living a submissive life for Christ while you're here on this earth. Not only so that God is glorified, that is the ultimate thing, but that so that you have the opportunity to take as many people to heaven with you as you go through this life living for Jesus' name. Or as Paul puts it, running the race with endurance. And so this morning, we're gonna look at six things in these last few verses to take note of as we approach the finish. The finish line of our lives, the finish of our calling, whatever you want to look at it as, but as we approach the finish, six important truths to help us get there, to get there victoriously, to get there joyously, to get there without any regrets. But before we do that, we want to spend some time worshiping the God of all grace, just crying out to him in praise and glory and adoration because he is worthy of all of it. He is the one in whom our hope ultimately rests, and so let's, let's just let's worship him now, amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for who you are. God, we've been so blessed through this study of this letter that, that you inspired Peter to write, God, and I pray, Lord, that as we end, we end on the note that he intended, Lord, that you intended through him, that we would end on this note of hope, this note of joy, this note of the reality, God, that no matter what this life throws at us, we are going to get through to the other side, and we are going to get there victoriously. God, we are so thankful for your strength in our lives each day, each moment. We are so thankful that that strength is the very thing that is going to carry us through all the way to the point of standing before you in eternal glory in Christ. So, Lord, we thank you. We love you. Bless us this morning, but, Lord, be blessed as your people praise your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we are finishing our study in 1 Peter. And then we're going to go to Second Peter, because that's next, <laughs> all right? So I'm excited about that, and uh, Second Peter is, is going to be um, a blessing just, just as much as First Peter has been. And so we are going to be starting in verse 10 this morning, and so I just want to read the, the, the balance of this chapter here, and then we'll dig into it. But First Peter chapter 5, verse 10, it says, The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. 
Father, just uh, bless your word today. Speak to us, God, and encourage us in all that you have for us, all that you are, and all that that means for our lives. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Well, this whole letter, as it tells us there, was penned by a guy named Silvanus, all right? He was the one that actually wrote it. He was uh, known as, uh, as a scribe, right? He's also known as Silas. And uh, what was kind of common in, in ancient times is if someone would write a letter, they would dictate that letter. So it's Peter dictating this letter. And then as he tells us there in verse 12 through Silvanus, is Silvanus was the one that is actually writing it down. And so Peter gives him a quick shout out at the end of the letter here. But it seems that these last two verses of the chapter were actually written by Peter himself, right? It seems like he kind of took the pen after the, the, the to him be dominion forever. And then was like, hey, by the way, you guys, through Silvanus, I wrote this letter, right? So just an interesting little thing there. But... I find it interesting what Peter says here in closing, because he goes, through Sylvanus, I have written to you briefly. Well, this is our 29th Bible study in the five chapters of 1 Peter. Um, But, you know, five chapters. It was a short letter, but it was packed full of really good information. But he summarizes his whole point with this letter. He says, to encourage his readers to testify. To testify that everything he's written in this letter, in summary, is the true grace of God. And then in verse 13, it's simply some closing greetings. But verses 10 through 11, this is the quick summary of what the true grace of God is. It's a summary of the entire letter here, and that's where I'm going to be pulling six truths from this morning about the true grace of God, about how to win by losing, about how to go up by going down, about how to find eternal glory through earthly suffering, and really to finish our journey, our race well. And so the first thing that I want to point out from verses 10 and 11 here that we really need to know, and when I say no, I don't mean just by knowledge. Like, oh, I know that. I mean like internalized, like it's become a part of your being and your character, is God's character. That's the first thing, right? Notice what he says there. He starts out by saying, the God of all grace. This is one of the great titles for God. Paul, in his writings, called him the God of all comfort. Peter here calls him the God of all grace. It's interesting, the God of all grace, this is how God introduced himself in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 34, verse 9. He said, I am the Lord, compassionate and gracious. Now, notice what Peter didn't say. He didn't say the God of all fairness, the God of all justice, the God of all truth, the God of all correctness. Although he is all of those things, right? Peter could have said any of those. Peter wanted to leave his audience at the closing of his letter with this very important truth, this very important foundational understanding that God is the God of all grace. Have you ever ran into a believer that seems to have forgotten that? Have you ever been that believer that seems to have forgotten that? I think at different times in our lives, We've all struggled in one way or another with this concept, you know. Um, Christians are Christians because they have received Christ, right? They have received his free gift of salvation. They 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 have put their faith in his death on the cross. But sometimes in our lives we can forget, or at least behave as if we have forgotten, that God is the God of all grace. And people that that are forgetting this or struggling with this, they seem to live lives that become incredibly judgmental. They live lives that become incredibly unforgiving. They become lives that are very critical. 
that completely lack understanding, that, 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 that seem to have forgotten that they are imperfect people and that they let down God and hurt God and offend God every single minute of every single day themselves, they forget that, and then so then the other people around them, whether it be friends or family or spouses or even kids sometimes, they, 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 they start to demand perfection from these people and they become judgmental. And I think that just simply comes when we forget to dwell on that God is the God of all grace. Because grace is the very covenant, the very covenant that we relate to God with, right? Our covenant with God is a covenant of unmerited favor. That's what grace is, unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it, right? Unmerited. That is the very covenant we have with God. In John chapter 1, verse 17, it says this, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, You see, under the law, God demanded righteousness from man, right? The law was do these things and you are a righteous person. But under grace, God gives righteousness to man. He imputes it to our our lives. He, he, He bestows it upon us through Christ. Under the law, righteousness was based on good works, right? Do this, do this, do this, do this, and you will be a righteous person. But under grace, It's all based on his good work. It's based upon what he did, his finished work on the cross. Under the law, it only takes one sin to make you a guilty sinner. One sin, but under grace, it only takes one savior, one sacrifice to pay for all of it. To put it simply, grace is how God deals with us. Grace, that is how God deals with us not based upon what we deserve, not in a situation where you didn't do this, so therefore I'm not gonna do what I'm supposed to do. That is not at all the example of God. God deals with us based upon what Jesus did for us. Whether we deserve it or not, whether we've earned it or not, that's the covenant of grace. Now there's an acronym for grace that you may have heard before, you know, G-R-A-C-E, God's Riches at Christ's expense, right? You may have heard that before. The Christian church has had a lot of fun acronyms over the years, right? WWJD, what would Jesus do? And things like that. But I think that's a great acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's exactly what grace is, because the truth, because God deals with us based upon what Jesus did, he can treat us differently than he otherwise could. Right, 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it this way. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. Simply put, God treated Jesus the way we deserve to be treated, as guilty, condemned sinners. But he treated Christ like we deserve to be treated, so that he can treat us the way Jesus would deserve to be treated, as a sinless, spotless, blameless, righteous, perfect person. Think about that. Think about how unfair that is, right? We don't deserve that. 
But the Bible never teaches that he does that because we deserve it. He does it because he loves us. He does it because he chooses to, regardless. That is the covenant of grace. That is the covenant of grace that comes from a God who is a God of all grace. I believe Peter's closing with this here because knowing this, embracing this, internalizing this is foundational to us running the race well. It's foundational to us getting through this life victorious in our walk with the Lord. To understand that he is the God of all grace. We are saved by grace. We are secured by grace. Right? We sing about grace, right? The, the hymn and then even the modern versions, Amazing Grace. Today in the song we were singing, right? God of wonder, God of grace, let my soul stand always to praise you, right? We sing about God's grace because it is so amazing and so magnificent and so utterly life-changing. No matter what you're experiencing today in your life, God is not looking at you with his arms crossed and a big scowl on his face. <laughs> You've let me down. I'm so disappointed in you. Right? Other people may be looking at you that way. That happens, but not God. God is a God of grace. That's his nature. That's his character. That's the first truth I wanted to note in these closing verses. The second thing I think we need to take note of is God's calling. God's calling for us. Look again at verse 10. It starts out there with, Hold on, I gotta go back. <laughs> the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory. So stop right there. Who called you to his eternal glory. What does this tell us? In the big picture of our lives and our eternity, God's purpose for our lives goes beyond just a grace-filled life here on earth. God's purpose for our life includes eternal life in heaven, a forever in glory with him. John 17, 24 says this, Jesus speaking in his own prayer, Father, right, have you ever wondered, what would Jesus pray for me? Go read John 17, all right? He says this, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory. That is a part of Jesus' prayer for you, and the Father one day will fully answer this prayer. One day, he's gonna take you, he's gonna take me, he's gonna take all believers in Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ, right into the glory of God that is Jesus Christ. How wonderful that day is gonna be. That's God's calling for your life. This second truth, God's calling, is tied to the first truth. Because God covers us in his grace, he can call us into his glory. And I think it's really important for us to, to understand that connection, to see how the second truth is connected to the first truth. Because, because when we understand that because we're covered in God's grace, that, that means that, that he can call us into his glory. When we understand that truth, it's going to let us see beyond the pain of the journey. It's gonna help us to see beyond the pain of running the race, the pain of this life, the suffering that Peter's been talking about through this whole letter. It's a perspective that allows us to look past the now, right? This is why, you know, I believe Paul uses that concept of the runner running the race. If you've ever ran, 
All right, it's the most horrible torture that human has ever put upon itself. <laughs> Maybe that's my personal opinion. <laughs> but when you're running, right, your body starts to scream at you, I'm dying. Why are you doing this to me? And then for some reason, you're like, no, I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going. And your body just starts, you hate me, don't you? But you look ahead. You look beyond the pain. What's at the end of the race there? The finish line. The prize. The goal. Right? And so you push and you push and you push and you push past and you train to, to get better at running. And, you know, and all of that stuff, that's all wrapped up in this concept. To know that, 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 that because we're covered in God's grace, God can call us to his glory. It helps us to look, look to something that is beyond this life, that is beyond the suffering and the difficulty we will struggle with in this life, to look to that finish line. That's hope. And hope is important. People without hope, man, I mean, you could just look around the world. You might know some people, people, coworkers, family, that they, they have no hope. They don't know the Lord, so there's no hope of heaven. And so they, they constantly try and find everything possible to put hope in so that life has meaning because otherwise it has no meaning. Paul said as much in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. He goes, if we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, meaning, meaning this life is all that it's about, that there's no heaven, there's no afterlife, there, there's no reward at the end. He goes, we should be pitied more than anyone. <laughs> because if Jesus isn't real, if God isn't real, if heaven's not real, and you've said, I'm gonna believe in God, you've wasted your life, is kind of what he's saying there. What a waste of time. But he is real. Heaven is real. Now life can hurt. It can hurt a lot. It can be extremely difficult. But past the hurt is heaven, and we can't forget that. We forget it too often, I think. We forget it until we're reminded of it. That's why I think the Bible brings it up so much. You know? Because we need to be reminded. But when we're reminded, we're like, look, there's, there's a finish line, there's a goal, there's a prize. Heaven's coming, glory's coming. Then it allows us to push through it encourages us to keep going. Again, Paul said exactly this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He goes, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, here comes the finish line, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. And so we're admonished, we're encouraged, we're challenged to live looking forward to what's beyond this life. To live with that eternal perspective. But in the process, there is grace given by God to get through. There is grace given by God to help us see the eternal perspective. There is grace given by God 
to help us look ahead to the glory that we were called to after this life. And so we see God's character, as Peter brings it up here in his closing, that he is the God of all grace. We see God's calling, that he is calling us to eternal glory. But there's a third thing we need to know, the condition. The condition. Look again at verse 10. He says, the God of all grace, who calls you to his eternal glory in Christ. In Christ. That's the condition. You see, God's grace in life now, God's glory in heaven that is to come, they're all attained. They're all apprehended. They're all enjoyed only in and through Christ Jesus. So now we see the first two truths are now tied to this third truth, right? The presence of both, the presence of God's grace in your life, the presence of that hope of the calling that God is calling you, the the promise of both, they all depend on this one question. Do you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? That is the most important question that will ever be posed to any human life. And your individual answer to that question will determine everything. Everything. Not just here, but in eternity. Grace and glory are not automatic. Grace and glory are not given to us just because we're alive. Right? Some people think that. Especially if you watch award shows sometimes. You know, hey, I'm receiving this award for this song about brutalizing women and drugs and all that. You know, glory to God. Are you kidding me? Now, I am so, so thankful that Hollywood is full of people who are true believers. There are people there who genuinely know Jesus Christ, and God is using them to do things that that we're not even aware of. But there are those in Hollywood and and, and in life and wherever it may be that don't know Jesus at all. But they'll want to proclaim it. Oh, hey, I give God the glory for this song about hateful, hurtful things. (laughs) How, how How is that glory to God, you know? But the point is, is we don't get grace and glory just because we're alive. Some want to teach that, right? Oh, it would be unkind for God to send anybody to hell. God doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves there. You know, if God has got to love, he'll let everybody in. He's a God of justice, too. You know? If you're a parent, is it fair to say, well, (laughs) you're not going to make your kid do anything? I mean, gosh, don't you love him? Don't you love your kids? Why do you have rules? Why do you have any type of conditions? Why do you have anything? Why do you make them take medicine when they're sick? How unloving is that? It's the same logic. You must be born again. That's what the Bible says. You must be born again. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Heaven is exclusive, and there's nothing wrong with that. Exclusivity of any kind in this culture, today's culture, is it, that's a cuss word. How dare you prohibit anybody from anything? But the Bible is clear. Heaven is indeed exclusive. But everybody's invited. Everybody is invited. So it's exclusive in the sense that 
You can only get in if your ticket has been bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. But he's willing to buy and pay for that ticket for anybody that would call on his name. There's nobody, race, creed, background, upbringing, country of origin, nobody is beyond, outside the offer of salvation from Jesus Christ. He is willing to pay the price for anybody. And so, heaven excludes you only if you exclude yourself. And you can't blame God for that if that's a decision you make. But God's hoping you make the decision. He's praying you make the decision. He's desiring that you make the decision to receive salvation. Because when you're in your sin, you don't even know. You're not even aware of the truth of how it is destroying you, it's going to destroy you, and the eternal punishment that's gonna come from that. And the devil works overtime to get you to believe that, oh, there's no God, there's no heaven, there's no hell, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. And the truth is, is that all of that is real. And God loved you so much, so much, that he came to this earth and he died on the cross to pay the price for your sins so that simply through faith and belief in him, you could be saved. And then from that point forward, you can have the grace of God flow through your life, looking forward to the calling of glory in heaven. You just have to accept it, receive it, Embrace it, believe it, that he, God the Son, died for you, that he paid the price for your sin, that your entrance to heaven, so to speak, was purchased by his blood. You were redeemed by that. And when you receive that, when you believe that, your entrance to heaven, it's guaranteed. Your place in eternal glory is guaranteed but it's through Christ, and through Christ alone. Is God calling you to that this morning? Is God speaking to your heart today and saying you need to do just that? You need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior? I think he is. I think he is speaking to you, and I'm gonna give you an opportunity later to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior as we continue through these verses to see what God has in store for his people. So the fourth thing I want us to take note of, we had God's character, you had God's calling, you had the condition. Then we have God's commitment. So as he goes on in verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. And again, this is a summary and a restatement of what Peter has been teaching to this whole book, that if God lets us suffer, It's for a purpose. It's for a purpose that God is committed to fulfill. There's a reason God allows the suffering in our lives. If you are suffering today, if you're suffering in in life, at work, in your relationships, with friends or family, if if you're going through suffering. Now again, contextually, this suffering is because you are a Christian, all right? There is a difference between suffering because we make dumb decisions and suffering persecution simply because you profess Jesus Christ as Lord, okay? But if you're in that place of suffering, 
And it is coming upon your life simply because you love Jesus, simply because you stand for Jesus, simply because you proclaim the gospel. But applicably, this, this applies across the board, I believe. What God is doing in your life is restoring you. That word restore means to perfect you. It's interesting, it's the concept of a, of a physical trainer adjusting parts of the body to bring them back into proper alignment. That's the idea of restore. The idea is that as God is allowing you to go through suffering, what he's doing is he's, is he's, he's putting you in proper alignment mentally and spiritually in your faith because of your belief. He's bringing all of your, your understanding and your thoughts and your behavior, he's bringing it all into proper alignment in how you're supposed to live and be as a Christian. He's establishing you. If you're suffering today, what he's doing is establishing you. That word means to be inwardly committed, to be more firm, more resolute, more unwavering in your stance for Jesus, right? A lot of us, we've had periods in our lives, maybe we're suffering it right now, going through the thing where because of the suffering in our lives, we're going, hmm, is God real? You know, I... I I, 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 I gave some tracks out. Pastor Nathan said, give some tracks. And now my boss is mad at me and I got the terrible shift because they're like, you can't talk about Jesus here. God, where are you, right? God allows us to go through these suffering times so when we come out the other end, we realize, oh, God was there the whole time to strengthen, to, to establish our faith. And then it says strengthening you and that word simply means to be stronger, to able to, able to withstand the blows, right? The idea of when you're being assaulted and people hit you and you're just like, come on, that's all you got, you know? I have days in my life where it seems like the enemy is just throwing everything he can at me and, and, and I, I really enjoy the days <laughs> where, I'm, where I'm so strong in my faith. I'm like, that's all you got, bro? And then I realize, what have I done, you know? <laughs> And the devil's like, yeah, let's stand strong, right? Or the God's like, let's stand strong against that. So he's restoring us and establishing and strengthening us. Then it says supporting you. That word literally means to, to lay or build a strong foundation. God allows us to go through suffering, not just to, you know, <laughs> he allows us to go through suffering because he's like, I'm molding you and I'm shaping you. All these words together are kind of like synonyms. And they build upon one another. And like, I couldn't help but to see this picture in my head of, you know, restoring you, you know, a, a trainer who adjusts parts of the body. And I was like, huh, building. And I'm thinking, oh, the framing, right? You make sure the framing is square and level. And then establishing you. It's causing you to be inwardly committed, right? And that's where you're pouring the concrete and making the molds and strengthening you, right? You, we want to use good concrete, not the cheap stuff. And then, and then laying a strong foundation, which everything is built upon that to make a structure that will withstand the storms and withstand everything. God is using this life to build you into a radically strong, sturdy, unyielding, unwavering, faithful, committed, bold follower of God. What the devil intends with suffering and persecution and trials, what he intends, which is to wear us down, to destroy us, to weaken us, when we're standing firm in Christ, the exact opposite happens. Right? That just, that just, I just want to laugh at the devil when, when I think about something like that. You know, he's like, I'm messing with you and I'm messing with you. And you're like, bro, all you're doing is strengthening me because the grace of God is flowing through my life and God is allowing you to do this 
Because God's purpose is that I will be strengthened. All that suffering makes us stronger in our faith with God. And God is committed, committed to bringing you through the suffering. God is committed to restoring and establishing and strengthening and supporting you through it. God is committed to bringing you out the other side molded and and refined into the person he's created you to be. He's committed to that. The fifth thing that we should take note of here is God's lesson plan. (laughs) Again, Peter's summarizing the entire letter here, and he says right at the end of that verse, after you have suffered a little while. We've talked a lot about how suffering's a part of life. We've talked a lot about that through this letter. Everybody suffers in one form or another. As Christians, we we have to understand, right, that, that suffering is a part of God's lesson plan to mature us. Pain happens to everybody, but I think purposeful pain is what happens to the child of God. Those without Christ, those that are blind and ignorant to the wiles of our adversary, the devil, the devil is just trying to destroy them and drag them to hell with him. And often they look back at pain and they're like, what was the point of that? And I don't understand that. And, And there is no point other than to destroy their lives. But for the believer, those who are walking with Christ, we know. We know there's an enemy prowling around, right, who wants to destroy us. We talked about this on, on Wednesday's study. We know that, that, that our sovereign God, however, limits and, and, and controls what the devil is allowed to do, right? The devil doesn't do what he does without God knowing and, and permitting it, and that's hard for some people. But again, God knows that the suffering we're going to go through, he's not going to allow us to go through more than we can handle, and he's going to refine us through it. But Peter here says it's a temporary difficulty, a temporary difficulty. <laughs> 100 years, 80 years, 90 years, 50 years, whatever life we have here, that's a temporary difficulty, right? Three minutes in the microwave, that, that's too long to wait for food to cook. Life is a temporary difficulty. But yeah, in the context of forever, the life we have here on this earth is a temporary difficulty. Romans 8.28 says, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Christians have the truth. We have the framework with which to process and understand suffering. And so we know that the, God, the, the suffering that God allows is there to strengthen us. It's a part of his, his lesson plan in our life. And, and in the big picture, it's not long. That's hard for us. I get it. My brain can't really comprehend eternity, right? I mean, I've been to the DMV, so it's close, you know. <laughs> but, but really, forever, right? That, that's a hard one to really wrap your brain around. For me, that's a part of where faith kicks in. I just believe that what God says is true. And of course, I think Peter is using it here as a deliberate comparison in, in, to contrast eternal, right? The eternal glory we are called to. God has called us to eternal glory, but until then, we're here to suffer a little while, right? The, the forever glory we're, we're, we're due, we're gonna get because of our faith in Christ. It's not because we have earned it, it's because of what Christ did and it's imputed to us and all that, that comes with that comes after what the Bible calls this brief vapor of life. 
And I think that perspective is intended to bring us comfort. It's, an, it's intended to help. And it does if you let it. It does if you meditate on it, if you dwell on that. And the last thing I want to note here is God's compensation. What does God get out of all of this, right? What does God get out of giving us grace to live? One, paying the price for all of our sin, right? Then giving us the grace to live and then calling us to glory. What, what does God get out of it? What, what does God get out of giving us through Jesus Christ the benefits of and the refinements through our own life here on earth? What does he get? He gets the praise. He gets the glory. Look at verse 11 at the very end there. As Peter is dictating to Silvanus, the last thing is, to him be dominion forever. Amen. Now, in some of the more traditional translations, like King James and New King James, it says glory and dominion forever. This is what we call a benediction, right? A benediction is kind of like a, 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 a pronouncement of blessing at the close of a letter. But here, Peter is ascribing this blessing to the Lord, it's like an outburst of praise as Peter is dictating the final summary of his letter and writing, yeah, the God of all grace. And, and just break this down. Damn, be dominion forever. That word dominion means the exercise of ruling ability or the power to direct or the power to determine. The principle is this. And this is what I think Peter is intending here in just this closing you know, we know God is creator. We know God is God, and he's almighty, and he's omnipotent, and he's all-knowing, he's everywhere, right? He's, he's in charge of everything. But when this life is, is completely done and over with, when the, the trials, the suffering, the difficulties we've gone through for our faith, when, when those things that, that, that bring refinement in our life, when those are all over, when death is all over, when it's all done and we are in glory, we're going to be able to look back and we're going to be, be able to say and we're going to be able to know with every fiber of our existence that everything God did and allowed in our lives was exactly the right thing. Was exactly the, the correct decision. Was, was exactly justified. Was perfect. Everything. We're going to look back at all the suffering and go, oh, God, you directed perfectly. You guided my life perfectly. You did everything exactly perfectly right for what I needed to become the person that you created me to be. We're gonna say praise be to you, Lord. Glory be to you, Lord. I get the big picture, I understand. I get it now why you directed and determined what happened in my life to happen the way it happened. I comprehend. And, 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 and so I trust you to guide and direct my life forever because I am yours. There won't be any, I've arrived in glory. Praise you, God. But you know what? There was this one season of life we gotta have a discussion about. You know, you were wrong. You blew it. You dropped the ball. There's gonna be none of that. I believe the Bible teaches that when we get to heaven, we're going to know things and, and, and you know, we're going we're gonna to know ourselves as we are. I mean, our knowledge is going to expand, right? We're going to, and, and I think God's going to be like, here, let me, let me just show you the, the game plan here. Wow, that was, you know, perfect. 
No questioning him on anything. When we arrive, when we get to glory, that the, the glory that we're called to, we're going to fall on our face in worship. Any reward we get, we're going to throw back at his feet. We're going to get it. Like, he is perfect. He is, he, is, he is God Almighty. He is glorious. He is worthy. It'll be worship and praise and celebration and adoration, and in part, it'll be because I think we'll understand that everything he did, everything he allowed in our lives was exactly what we needed, was perfectly tailored to us to perfectly bring us to that place of being in eternal glory. Now, my question for us this morning is, has it, have any of us, have any of you, maybe online, have we stepped off the road, maybe in our journey to faith? Has the suffering caused us to stop moving forward, right? We're like, all right, I'm done. I'm gonna take a break for a while. Everybody else, just keep running. Yeah, enjoy that. But I'm just gonna stop for a bit. Maybe you've been having trouble trusting God in some of the valleys that, that the course he has laid out for you have brought you to, right? You've been struggling with, you, you, you've even stopped asking for the grace. God, help me understand this. I don't want to understand it anymore. It just hurts. I think we can all get there. But today, I want to encourage you. Today is the day. Get back in the race. Get back on the road. Get back in the journey. And you start by asking God to give you the grace that he has for you because he is the God of all grace. You start by saying, God, I, I, give me the grace to, to, to deal with this, to understand, to have a proper perspective. God, give me the grace to, to, to not allow the temptation to hate you and get mad at you in this, but allow me the grace, Lord, to see this suffering, this trial, this difficulty through the proper perspective, God. Give me that grace to continue on. Ask him and trust that he is, he is renewing you. And say, God, God, I, I trust that you're renewing me in this. And so, so, so do that and, and, and refresh my ability to trust you, God. Help me to believe that you're restoring and establishing and strengthening and supporting me through all of it, God. I believe that. And so help me to be, 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 be in that place where I'm just, I'm in God's hand. I'm all right. Remember that glory is coming. The finish is ahead. But more importantly, God is committed to getting you there. God is committed to getting you there. So trust his direction in your life. Trust his determination in your life. Trust his power to guide you and direct you through exactly what you need to go through to grow and to mature and to be refined. This is the true grace of God. So as Peter says, stand Firm in it. Rejoice. Be at peace as you receive from God. I think it's really about being able to look back at a life lived with no regrets, right? No, I wish I did. I wish I didn't. I wish I, you know, you know, like Paul, like I've ran the race, I've finished. I'm not looking back and going, oh my goodness, I wish I would have followed the Lord here and all that, but no, I just, I, I, I trusted and I followed. It's the idea here. So for those of you that know the Lord, if you've stepped off the track, I encourage you this morning, 
as scary as it might be, as, as, as unsure as you might be, I pray that God right now is just pouring grace into your heart that you just come to that place again of going, I'm all right. God will get me through this. And so I'm gonna keep walking forward step by step. Some of you here in this room this morning or maybe watching online, today is a day for whatever reason you came to church, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Whatever reason you tuned on, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And quite honestly, when you look back on your life, all you see is regrets. And maybe those regrets, they've been piling up or the very thing that, that brought you to hear the word of God this morning. Well, today's also your day to start the race, to give your life to Christ, to receive what he has offered for you, the the free gift of salvation, that before almighty God that you stand before today as a guilty condemned sinner, you can say, God, forgive me of my sins. And God will say, I already did it, and I'm gonna pour it out on you. The blood of Christ was shed for you that your conscience and the guilt and all of that can be washed clean in Jesus Christ. And then you could start a life of grace. It's not gonna be an easy life, right? It would be wonderful if you gave your life to Christ and poof, wow, I'm out of debt. Poof, my car works. Poof, I don't have any rent. I own my property now, right? Poof, everything was perfect. God didn't promise a perfect life but he did promise a graced life. He did promise eternal life in glory. He promised to walk with you every step through this life, to carry you through all the difficulties, especially those sufferings and difficulties that come because you would dare proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the peace that comes knowing that the God that created you has forgiven you, that your relationship with him is right, far surpasses any struggles, any suffering that this world could bring. I could promise you that. And so, enter into the hope of grace now. Enter into the hope of eternal glory now. Put yourself under the perfect dominion, the perfect direction, the perfect guidance of your creator who loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And so we're gonna pray, and I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that right now. Father God, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, God, for who you are. We thank you, God, for the grace that you've poured out upon humanity, Lord, that although we have sinned against you, Lord, we, we lie, we cheat, we steal, we murder, we hurt, we condemn. God, you still look upon us as your creation and say, gosh, I love them so much. And God, because you loved us so much and you wanted to forgive us and make this relationship with you right, God, you sent your own son to die in our place. God, I don't understand what more grace there could be than someone going all the way to the death penalty for us, especially someone who's never done anything wrong. Someone who is sinless and spotless and perfect and that's who Jesus Christ was. And yet he willingly went to the cross and was nailed there, suffering the full wrath of God against sin for me. 
for every single one of us hearing this message, God. Lord, such grace, I think really is beyond our ability to understand, but God, we can receive it. Those of us, Lord, in this room that know you, that have been walking with you for a short time or for a long time, God, Lord, we ask that you would continue to shower your grace into our lives, that we would be able to live life here on this earth through the suffering, through the difficulty, still living righteously, still living good, still living in a way that glorifies your name, God. And God, we know as, as, as we go through this life, we look to the finish line, we look to the goal, we know that eternal glory is waiting for us because we are in Christ. And so God, help us to have that heavenly perspective, that eternal perspective, Lord, especially when we're in the trial, God, that we'll be able to look past the pain and past the trial and see what awaits us. To trust, Lord, the work that you're doing in our lives through these trials. To understand, Lord, in the scope of forever, we do suffer for a little while. And God, in all of it, you just, you just want the glory, and you are due the glory. So help us to glorify your name, even in our suffering. Lord, for those that may be in this room or watching online that do not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, that, has ne- that they, they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, or maybe there's someone here that, that has, but they know that their, their life never changed. They never really <laughs> accepted Jesus I just pray for them right now, God. That today, God, the grace, the forgiveness that you offer them, Lord, the truth of that would penetrate their heart even now as I'm speaking. The hope of heaven and the eternal glory you offer them in Christ, God. They would understand the magnitude of that. And so while we're praying with with heads bowed and eyes closed, If you're in this room this morning or if you're watching online and God has been speaking to your heart this morning, as God's word has been taught and preached, you've been hearing God's voice, the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart saying, you need to give your life to me this morning. You need to be saved. And you want to do that. Just while we're praying, I just want you in this room, where you're seated, just raise your hand up and say, yeah, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior this morning. If you're online watching and you want to do that, just let us know in the chat if you're on YouTube. If you're on the church online platform, there should be a button there that says, I want to receive Christ. Do that so we can connect with you. But if you're in this room this morning and God is speaking to your heart, just raise your hand. Let me pray with you to to confess your sin. God bless you. Anybody else? God is speaking to you this morning in this room about your need for salvation. You need grace in your life. You need hope. You need even the purpose that God has that you would be in heaven with him one day. And you say, I want to receive him. Just raise your hand and let me pray with you. Anybody else? All right, Father, we thank you, God, so much. Lord, we pray for those in this room and anybody online that this morning have said, I need to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I pray, God, is that as they're looking at their life and they're looking to the finish line of their own life, God, they have realized that without you it is meaningless, without you it is pointless. 
And so God, I pray, Lord, that as your spirit is falling upon them right now, as they are in their own heart confessing their need for you, their belief in you as God Almighty who has died for them, that, Lord, you would do that work of transforming their life and start the process of molding and shaping them into the, the, the person you've created them to be, clothed in righteousness. And so if you wanted to receive Christ this morning, I just want to pray this prayer with you. And it's not the words or the order of the words. It's the meaning, the intent from your heart. But pray with me. Say, Jesus, I believe that I've sinned against you. But I also believe that you love me. I believe you want to forgive me of that sin. God, I believe in you. Forgive me. Wash me clean of my sin. Pour your grace out in my life. Give me a purpose of living for you with a hope of eternal glory ahead. Thank you for loving me so much that you would die on the cross for me, taking my punishment so that I can be forgiven and stand in your glory. Thank you for loving me so much that you would save me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to live for you. Give me your grace. Restore me. Establish me. Strengthen me. Support me. Be glorified in my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, welcome to the family of God. We're so excited for all of you. And your life is going to be blessed. It's not going to be easy. Not going to lie to you. But that's why you have a family around you to pray with you, to support you, to encourage you, to always point you back to Jesus Christ, who is our strength, who is our glory. Amen? Amen. God bless you guys.